from WGBH in Boston. This is the Scrum Podcast. I'm reporter Adam Riley. The Scrum is a podcast about politics and media from Boston to the Beltway. Today is September 3rd, which means we are, what, less than one week away from the state's primary elections. Joining me this week to talk about it is Rob Eno publisher of the blog Red Mask Group. Hello, Rob. Hi. Thanks for having me. Six and days I, away. I should have said joining us, really, because I'm with David Bernstein, our political analyst here at WGBH. It's always a team effort when we do the Scrum <laughs> podcast. So, David, as always, thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure with, to be with here with, with you, Adam, as, as always, and with Rob. All right. Before this grotesque love fest continues, <laughs> I want to remind our listeners that we're asking all of you to predict the results of what we've deemed the most exciting of the Massachusetts primary elections. The person who does the best job, who's the most accurate with our set of metrics, and David, I know you have a contest at BOMAG, which people can enter as well. Yes, separate, uh, separate contest. It's a good way to hedge, in fact. You know? <laughs> That's right. Anyway, the person who does best is going to get a one-of-a-kind handcrafted Scrum t-shirt, and they'll get to talk about all the things they got right on an upcoming edition of the Scrum. That's very that, exciting. That's not enough to make you enter. I don't know what is. Rob, I, have, I already have, entered. Yeah, you did. I, I, did. I confess I haven't, but I'm just gathering data. <laughs> Rob, have you entered? I, I have not entered. I'll enter when I get out. I thought it was one of those things if you're affiliated with the podcast, you no, can't win. No, no, no. You, you can enter. Your family members can enter. Children. But enough of that. Let's talk about the gubernatorial endorsements that have been coming out recently, uh, in particular the Globe endorsing Baker and Steve Grossman, but feel free to talk about the Herald and others if you'd like. You know, the Commonwealth poll that came out that had um, Fisher at 7 and Baker at 59, I think actually Charlie Baker's going to win, but I think Mark Fisher is going to do a lot better than 7. If you look at the race with Richard Tissay in 2010, he got almost 20% blanks in that race, in a Republican primary. So I think that's kind of Mark's floor. I think Mark will get up to about 30%, which is a heck of a lot larger than I think they thought. So I wasn't surprised that the Globe endorsed. I was kind of, it was interesting. One of now the- Now you're saying you weren't surprised they endorsed, they endorsed uh, Baker, Baker or that they endorsed Steve Grossman, because I'd like to get your take on I that. Wasn't, I wasn't surprised they endorsed Steve Grossman. I mean, they've been, Martha Coakley has been underwhelming throughout this campaign, I think. She's, you know, I think she's falling into the traps of the 2010 Martha Coakley. And I think the Globe sees that, and they're trying to stop her from being the nominee. I don't think they're going to be able to. I mean, she's going to win. I don't know how big that win's going to be, but I wasn't surprised at all. David, what about you? Surprised by either the endorsements or these recent poll numbers that we've seen over the last couple of days? No, not really surprised. You know, you go back to 2009, the U.S. Senate race, the Globe uh, did not uh, endorse Martha Coakley then, um, actually ended up endorsing uh, Alan Casey in the primary <laughs> for whatever that was worth. And, you know, look, Grossman is the guy who's uh, who's getting a lot of the the elected officials. He's getting the bulk of the newspaper, you know, ed boards, the sort of, you know, the, the people who sit down and meet with people and have histories with, with these people. Uh, they like Grossman. They see Grossman, uh, rightly so. They see him as a, a very competent guy who, who could run the state well and everything. That is a big disconnect with the general Democratic primary uh, electorate who really like Martha Coakley. Incidentally, I'm told that as we speak, literally as we speak, Steve Grossman is on Boston Public Radio, hosted by Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan, and is, um, as he's wont to do, busting out the ice cream. <laughs> Should we leave uh, now I, and go, I, go over there and get some? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we would never accept a gift like that here. Oh, never, never. Compromise no. our integrity. No. So, David and Rob, uh, briefly, who do you think is the the toughest matchup for Charlie Baker in the fall? 
assuming that Charlie Baker's the nominee. This is one of these weird times where I don't think anyone is better than the other. I think, you know, obviously Charlie polls better than Grossman and Berwick. Uh, but on the Martha Coakley thing, I think that we're starting to see some of the same problems that she had in 2010 starting to to raise their head. And, and I don't, I'm not one of these guys that wants to pick who you go after because I've seen that hurt too much. I mean, that was the whole thing that happened in 2006. All the Republicans like, ooh, it would be great if we had this guy, Deval Patrick, nobody knows about. And then all of a sudden we got this guy, Deval Patrick, and it was, you know, the horror show that it's been for the past eight years. Or you could say that you right. got Deval Patrick the, the and he was an opposite. incredibly right. gifted retail politician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever you make of his legacy, <laughs> that he was this, you know, force right, exactly. on the campaign trail. But that's so – I'm not – I, I think that Martha will pose a set of issues that Charlie can go after. She's been up on Beacon Hill for a significant amount of time as all of these scandals have gone on. She's done, you know, nothing. What, what's happened with the health connector? Wasn't she supposed to, you know, hold CGI's feet to the fire? And has that actually happened? I don't know if you've seen that that report that Ed Lyons, who's a conservative activist, has put together as an op- autopsy on the health connector. It's You can... Google Health Connector Autopsy Report. And if you read that and you don't get infuriated, no matter what your politics are. It, I got a confession. I actually, it, it's on my to do list and I have not yet read it. David, have it, you read it? Uh, I haven't read it. I've taken a, a quick look at it. But uh, here's the thing there are a number of management uh, problems out of the Deval Patrick administration, big ones that you know are, are clearly uh, troublesome and, and bother people, whether it's the Health Connector. Uh, whether it's DCF, uh, you go back to Annie Dukin at the crime lab, uh, on and on and on. Uh, Here's the problem, though, from Baker's perspective, is that none of that has hurt Deval Patrick's popularity at all. He remains, you know, steadily uh, as popular and, you know, with as high approval ratings as previously. Those who disapproved of him before still do, but he remains very popular. And none of it at all has rubbed off on Martha Coakley to date. There, you know, her popularity is enormous, and and none of this. It's very hard to tie her directly to it, um, and to the extent that she can be tied in some way to it or to the Beacon Hill culture, uh, it clearly hasn't worked because it, you know we haven't seen anything uh, rub off on her in terms of the poll numbers. So I think it's a fifty-fifty shot in terms of who wins Baker versus uh, Coakley, but because of other reasons, but. This idea that that the management problems of the Deval Patrick administration are going to send people voting uh, against Martha Coakley per se, I'm not sure I see that. Well, but they might make people who are on the fence about whether to vote Democrat or Republican, they might make them think, all right, in fact, it would behoove us to have an outside set of eyes on Beacon Hill to have a, you know, once again, a Republican governor who can act as sort of a check on the monolithic Democratic power structure up there, right? I mean... Well, that's the case that that, uh, Charlie Baker and others have have been trying to make. Um, But again, where's the the evidence that that's... uh, that that's showing up in the way people view things. For what it's worth, I feel like I've seen something go on uh, to the extent that I've seen any of the Democratic candidates on the stump, which is akin to what we saw when people were running to succeed uh, Tom Menino as mayor of Boston. There was initially this real reluctance to say negative things about the uh, mm-hmm. Menino administration. You'd hear it sort of, you know, frustrations with things he'd done or things he hadn't done expressed very obliquely. And then as time progressed, the critiques got sharper and sharper. And I, I feel like you're seeing that to some extent with the Democrats. Like maybe, you know, people are being more muted in their criticisms because they're running 
in a primary, in a party within which Deval Patrick remains. You know, he, he's gone from being this insurgent nobody heard of to, you know, the, the face of the mass Democratic Party. That's right. It's been very muted in terms of, on both sides, uh, including Republicans, uh, in terms of the real willingness to criticize. I um, am writing right now uh, uh, a column about Charlie Baker for the next issue of Boston Magazine, and I tried very, very hard to get him to uh, to criticize uh, Deval Patrick, particularly on the, the issue that they ran on four years ago, which was the economy. You know, how do you, you know, basically Charlie Baker's whole pitch last time was, uh, you know, we need to grow the economy and jobs. I know how to do it. He's taking us on the wrong path. We now find ourselves, you know, three years later, whatever it is, and the majority of the of the electorate seems to feel that the Commonwealth is on the right track and is going well, and they're happy with Deval Patrick. Rob, you get the last word here. Right. I, and I think that, that that's one of the things that I've been critical of the Baker campaign on is that you need to have differences. We, we talked about it a little bit when you interviewed me for the TV. And, Remember when we met up in yeah, Framingham? Yeah, we met up in Framingham and, and nobody in the nondescript location um, and had, those, by, had to get yelled at by passing cars. By teens, uncouth teens uncouth driving teens. by. But when Scott Brown ran, he had you know one or two issues that he made a vast – made a vast comparison with him and Martha Cochleon. And that's how you win, and that's how you win elections. You know, and I don't think that, that Charlie has quite done that. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually afraid. It's interesting that you, you talked about being on the right path, and this is purely anecdotal, um, to use Governor Patrick and, Deval, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and President Obama's favorite word. But every day I see another, and you, you, you're friends with some of them on Facebook too, I see another conservative activist just picking up and leaving for a different state. It just – and most of them are going to Texas, and I actually laugh a little bit because the ones that go to Texas go to Austin. So they want to kind of go to the Cambridge of Texas because they don't want to get too far into that <laughs> right. Texas culture. Right. Um, but I'm seeing a lot – a lot of my conservative friends, because they feel they can't vote with their feet a lot, or with their, with their ballot box, they're voting with their feet and they're leaving. And I think that you see – that I mean, one one of the things you know, the economy is great, yeah, because you have low unemployment. But like the rest of the country, the the people that aren't continuing to look for work, our labor force participation rate is still abysmally low. So if those people were all still in, still in the labor force, you know, our unemployment rate would be a couple. You know, it's in and, and it and I have this this argument with our with our good friend Garrett Quinn all the time. Inside one twenty eight and out where I am in Worcester County. In, in, you know, the Merrimack Valley, that whole area are completely different. Yes, it is booming inside 128. But you have to have a $200,000 a year job to afford to live comfortably in the city of Boston. David Bernstein, I see you nodding as Rob says that. Let's move on, since we mentioned Scott Brown a moment ago, to his race up in New Hampshire, which not too long ago uh, seemed to be going nowhere. He didn't seem to be getting much traction. And now all of a sudden... Uh, it looks like we've got a race that's too close to call or anyone's to win or whatever cliche you want to uh, insert. Um, David Bernstein, let's start with you. Are you surprised that all of a sudden uh, Scott Brown is running neck and neck with Gene Shaheen? Well, I think that, that look, he was always going to make this a race. Uh, I think that, that some of the brushing aside, you know, oh, this is a done deal. This is going to be an easy win for uh, for Shaheen was premature. I think also the notion that he's made it a neck and neck race is also premature. I think it's still her advantage, uh, but obviously a close race. Robbie, you know, have you been up to watch Scott Brown? I was up the uh, the day I was at the announcement. What I what I've been struck by, and I was struck by at the announcement, is you know his family's from New Hampshire. He was born 
at the the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, and I love the line that he gave at that at his announcement, which was, "And the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard still should be in New Hampshire. It's not part of Maine." And you know, but everything that he does talks about how his family, when he was first born, was on such and such street in yep. Portsmouth, and yeah. you know, I, I thought it was kind of funny because he he made this reference about spending all his summers up in New Hampshire, and he feels like he's as much part of New Hampshire as he is of Massachusetts. And then the governor of Puerto Rico was up at the same conference and giving something, and he talked about how he went to this camp from New Hampshire. And then somebody goes, oh, he can be our U.S. senator too. I was at a table full of conservatives, (laughs) which was a little bit funny. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he does next week. Their primary is weirdly the same day as ours. How do you think he's going to do in that? I I think he's going to win. I don't know if he wins with the majority. I mean, Scott is the last person you want to discount mm-hmm. in anything. I mean, well, he, he runs better that way, right? When, yeah, when he runs better when he's down, he when can, he thinks he's down. I'm, and don't you think it's probably because, among other things, he can tap into sort of a oh, reservoir resen- of resentment? resentment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, he, he can be very focused on his message, and he gets out there, and uh, you know, no one works harder, and he'll travel all around the state, and he's doing that. You know, it's just it's a very Jean Sheen is quite popular up there, and. She's going to be well-funded, and she's not going to make a lot of mistakes. Since we uh, tipped our collective toes into primary predictions here a moment ago with Scott Brown, you say he's he's going to uh, win in the Republican primary, he's Rob, you know, win, but yes. maybe not with the majority. Maybe not Can with the Can we get you to say, but without a majority, making an affirmative <laughs> statement? Uh, right. Around 50%. Okay, uh, David I, Bernstein, your prediction I, for I, the I, Scott Brown primary? Yeah, I, I think he'll win. I, I suspect he'll clear 50%, but uh, like Rob said, there's, there's plenty of support for— uh, you know, and those are energized people who come out to uh, to the to the primary. I so. look forward to to reading the quotes over the next couple of days from people who say they just haven't seen him enough, or they just need to know more about him and the other candidates. Right, it's like right, the classic right. New Always. Hampshire. Yeah, we've only seen him a dozen times. All right, let's go around the room and do a quick series of predictions for next week's primaries. Uh, starting with the governor's race, we'll do the Dems and the Republicans, and let's start with our guest Robino, Charlie Baker. 69 to 31 against Marsh Fisher. I think it's going to be Martha Coakley in the three-way race. She's probably going to get about 45 to Grossman's 35 and Berwick with the rest. He's being so much more detailed than I'm going to be able to be. David Bernstein. <laughs> um, I think that Baker will win very comfortably. I think it'll be 80-20, you know, around that. You know, I think Fisher will probably break the 15%, which is sort of symbolic, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, somewhere around there. And on the Democratic side, I think that uh, Martha Coakley will get somewhere between 45 and 55%, depending on uh, the turnout. I think she gets a higher percentage with the more turnout. But I'm going to say somewhere around 45 to 47%. Okay. You don't feel the gross momentum? Not. Uh, I'm not feeling it, no. No. <laughs> All right. I will be um, lazy and and simple, and I'll say 50 percent for Coakley winning the Democratic primary and 75 for Baker in the Republican primary. LG, uh, I know you guys are watching the Democratic uh, LG's contest closely. Who wins? What percentage of the vote do they get? David Bernstein. I think uh, Kerrigan wins uh, over Mike Lake and uh, and Leland Chung. I think it's you know there's there's a fairly even split, but I think he'll uh, probably clear forty percent, so low forties, forty one, forty two percent. Rabino, I'm going to go with Leland Chung because he used to be a Republican. I don't know what he's going to win with because I haven't really been paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> well, just slap a number on it. Uh, f- 39. 39. 39. That sounds good. All right, I'll say Steve Kerrigan also with 
uh, 38% of the vote. Uh, so what what does that bring us to? AG. Yes. The hot general. AG's race. People race. can't get enough of the Democratic AG's contest. Robino, who wins? Uh, Warren Tolman, 55-45. Um, I think Maura Healy wins. Uh, I think she gets about 53, 54%. Right. I'll say Maura Healy in a nail-biter with 51% of the vote. Yeah. Are we going uh, to a recount? Uh, that's a great question. I hadn't even thought about that as a, a possibility. I say no for that reason. And let's do, uh, lastly, the treasurer's race. First, we have to try to name all the candidates. Deb Goldberg. Yes, thank you. Barry Feingold. Yes. And Tom Conroy, state representative. David, who do you like? Um, I think uh, Deb, Deb Goldberg is going to win that. I think that I think that all three are going to get votes. I think that, that it's going to be pretty well split, but I, I see her clearing 40%. Uh, so, again, like 42%, somewhere around there. All right. I'll say Tom Conroy with 40 and Robino. Last word to you. Based on the strength of Market Basket Nation, our friend Barry Feingold is going to get about 39% and win. That's a good call, actually. I would do a do-over if I could. It's <laughs> not an option. All right, guys. <laughs> thanks, for, on record. thanks for all those predictions. Last word here to Rob Eno, our guest. Let's say that uh, Seth Moulton, hypothetically, let's say he wins the primary and faces off against Richard Tissay. Uh, how tough a race do you think that is for Tissay? I think it's a tougher race against Moulton than it would be against Tierney um, because Tierney is a less – he's a more defined character, you know, person. I think what's interesting, though, is that, that that's a district that trends very Republican in a gubernatorial year. So I think it is a good year um, for Richard to be running in that race more so. I mean he came very close in 2012 with the Obama – you know, there's all the, – the Obama wave in Massachusetts because um, it's, it's an Obama, mm-hmm. you know, pulling at the top of the ticket – so I think I think you know Richard is in a very good spot against both of them. I think he would have a tougher time against someone he can't define. I I actually agree that uh, Moulton would be tougher for Tisa in the general election. All right, let's leave it there with that note of comedy. Actually, a lot of agreement here between you two. That, that, that happens sometimes. We can try to find more things to argue about, to disagree about, if you want. <laughs> I expect they'll surface organically the, yeah, in, in the near sure. future. I suspect so. All right, that's going to do it for today's Scrum. Uh, Rob Eno, thanks a great deal for joining us. Thanks we appreciate having me. it. All right, we're down to the wire. Listeners, there's less than a week until the primaries. You can submit your predictions for the September 9th primaries at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. If you like what you hear on The Scrum, please subscribe to it in iTunes. The team here at The Scrum includes WGBH political analyst David Bernstein and WGBHnews.org senior editor Peter Kadzis. Our producer is Abby Ruzica, and our engineer today was Jane Pippick. I'm WGBH News reporter Adam Riley. Thanks for listening.